Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you guys haven't had the opportunity to check out the Navigator Series, it's a brand new lineup from Lacrosse. They have the Windrose for men and women. They also have the Atlas, and that's what I wore during my rut vacation this fall. Check them out. They're very comfortable. Uh, it's a traditional rubber boot kind of mixed with a traditional hunting hiking boot they've mashed it together and the outcome is the navigator series check it out at lacrossefootwear.com my name is clay newcomb and i'm the host of the bear hunting magazine podcast i'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of north american wilderness the bear We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet, Chasing Bear. On this podcast, Johnny Carroll Sane comes to the Bear Hunting Magazine Global Headquarters. Johnny is a freelance outdoor writer located in the central Ozarks. He's a self-proclaimed philosophical hillbilly and a cultural observer, and he's written about hunting and fishing for a couple of decades. We have a conversation about where modern hunting is going and how it's basically a hat tip or us paying homage to our hunter-gatherer roots, or in Johnny's words, the homage. We talk about baiting deer, and we talk about the concept of place inside of hunting. You're going to enjoy this podcast with Johnny Carroll Sane. Check out our full line and new line of merchandise at bear-hunting.com. We have a new flashy series. That's what we're calling it, flashy hats. One says flashy mule, one says bear grease, and one says bear dogs. Unique, cool hat. We also have hoodies, 
long sleeve t-shirts and regular t-shirts and a bunch of other stuff available on our website and our new flashy series. Check that out on bear-hunting.com. And if you aren't a subscriber to Bear Hunting Magazine, hey, check it out. Six times per year, you'll get Bear Hunting Magazine delivered to your door. Incredible, incredible service. Hey, just like old times, getting a magazine delivered to your door that you can read at your leisure. Bear-hunting.com. Johnny Carroll saying, I've, I've been meaning to ask you this. Where does the Carroll come from? That was my dad's middle name. Really? So that's, yeah, that's your middle name? Junior, yes, my middle name. Um, I actually didn't use it most of my life, but uh, when I started writing and uh, needed a bigger Google presence, um, I used it because I've got a distant relative named Johnny Sane that okay. played for the New York Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he won a few pennants and uh, – should have made the Hall of Fame, I think. But that's another story. Really, he was but he was he was good. Yeah, there was a. How saying, was it? Was he distant relative, or just yeah, like a second cousin? No, or something? no, he's distant. I wrote a story about him actually for Arkansas Life uh, a couple years ago, and then part of that story was trying to figure out how we were related because everyone I meet, he was from Yale County, which is the okay. county south of where I live in Polk okay. County, and so a lot of people I'd meet would hear my name and ask if we were related. And I didn't know, I, you know, Sane's not a common last name, yeah. so I'm sure that we were. And, and then I did digging around, and, and actually it was kind of by chance um, that his group of Sanes ended up in Arkansas, and my group of Sanes were in Arkansas. They took similar paths, but there was a there was split a long way. Okay, back. so you didn't, like, know him? No. Like, he wasn't, like, at your Thanksgiving? No. Nope, never, no. I never met him before he but passed so, away. So you added the middle name in as a— Recognition. Just so, it, so people would be able to have a distinction, you know. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm this is Johnny Carroll saying the writer, as well, opposed that makes to sense. John Johnny Franklin saying the baseball player. Yeah, I, I've never thought about using my middle name in my in my writing, but it it kind of does set you apart. There's something about a a three word name that I think there grabs is. people, and you get that hard K sound, which is I don't know. I like that. And I don't have good. that in any other part of my name. So sounds yeah. good. Now, see, my first name is Aaron. Mm. So that would be a lot of explaining because I'm, you know, uh, Aaron Clay Newcomb is my name. So I go yeah. by my middle name. My parents, my parents, uh, on two, two of their boys, one of my brothers, they went with uh, a first name for whatever reason. And then the set, the middle name was the name that they went by. Yeah. That's, so uh, I, yeah, I don't know. That, they had full intentions of calling me Clay, but they named me Aaron Clay. So I don't know. I'll think about this as I'm branding my writing. But Johnny, you're a, you're a, you're a, I think I've heard somewhere, and it may have been you that said it. There may have been somebody that said it about you, but I heard the term hillbilly philosopher. Oh, yeah. It, well, my website. Uh, well, maybe it was your that's website. Was. My personal website is the philosophical hillbilly. There and, we go. And um, doesn't imply that I'm super smart or or anything it basically uh well i i like I, it I well like it. And i'm uh, I, I tend to think i'm an overthinker and uh that was i thought uh actually the tagline on on the website is overthinking rural culture 
Okay. Because that's what I tend to do is overthink things and, and uh, you know, dissect them and figure out why we do this and why I do that. And, right. Uh, so that was that was behind the name. Uh, uh, one of my favorite writers, Edward Abbey, said that uh, the writer's part of the writer's job is to be a critic of his culture. Mm. And so I thought, you know, analyzing rural culture and specifically rural mountain culture, southern mountain culture, which is my product of, yeah, uh, was part of my job. So that that figured in the name as well. I want to I want to talk to you about rural mountain culture and your observation as a cultural <clears throat> observer. I also read that on a tagline somewhere. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, I'm I'm Edward Abbey. I bought an Edward Edward Abbey book a year ago because I'd heard quite a bit about him and had read some very interesting quotes by him. But when I actually read one of the books, he was like super dark. Yeah, he's pretty dark. Uh, too dark for, for me. <laughs> Which book did you read? It was the little bitty book. Was it Desert Solitaire? Mm, no, it was like a collection of short stories. Ah, uh, And it was, I mean, when I say little, I literally mean it was like a pocket book almost. Uh, well, I I, I'd have to look what it was, but... As I read it, I was like, you know, when you read a writer, you you kind of can see, you hear what they say, you hear their ideas and thoughts, but ultimately you see into kind of who they are. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, this guy's dark. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I was I he had some very interesting quotes. One of which I use or I talk about sometimes. I won't be able to quote it verbatim, but he 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 had a quote about how how men came from being warriors, tamers of horses, and poets to being office clerks and accountants and how you couldn't stamp out, you know, a gazillion years of this, of that stuff to now fully make us these domesticated things that we are now. Do you know what quote yeah, I'm talking I about? I can't remember it verbatim either, but I'm familiar with the quote, and, and I, I, I agree with it. Um, I, I, I liked it, <laughs> but so I like him in like little snippets. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, he was a little dark. Actually, his cultural roots are very close to ours here. Uh, he was He's from the mountains of Pennsylvania. Okay. And... Um, you know, like my family, you know, we, we talked about the Saints. That's where they came from. They, they came in the port of Philadelphia and came down through Pennsylvania, through the Appalachians, okay. North Carolina, Tennessee, and then on over into Arkansas. And so a lot of the roots of the culture are the same. And that that dark kind of almost, I don't know the right words to describe it, but it's uh, it's not necessarily fatalistic, though some of it is. Yeah. that that's I, Maybe that's why I can relate to him. Uh, yeah. uh, a lot of his works they they resonate with me, mm-hmm. uh, but that quote specifically is a strong quote. Uh, yeah, and he's right. I yeah. mean, actually, for millions of years we were this, and now uh, we live in a largely abstract world. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know the the worlds that we occupy, that you and I occupy as a writer and as a magazine publisher and writer and all that. You know that's that's living in the abstract. Yeah. Uh, whereas years before we lived in a flesh and blood more of a flesh and blood world we were taming horses and you know unfortunately yeah. killing other people uh yeah. but yeah. uh yeah we're completely different creatures than we were back then i thought yeah. that was a good point he made yeah so you you talked about your family 
coming to Arkansas. So you you grew up in the Southern Ozarks. <clears throat> and do you know when your family came to the Ozarks? Uh, no, and and I grew up. Um, the the Sains are from uh, Newton County, and I, I grew up in Pope County, just a county south. And uh, I know that we go back the Sains, and then my grandmother, uh, paternal grandmother, her maiden name was Hefley. And there's okay. man, Hefleys are everywhere. Oh, really? Uh, Over there? Oh, yes. Uh, I'm not exactly sure when either bunch came to Newton County, but they've been there for generations. Um, yeah. Mount Judy, yeah, which is, was you know kind of the epicenter of the whole CNH hog farm thing on the Buffalo. Uh, Ep- Mount Judy, everybody in the cemetery. I like to say I'm, I'm probably related to everyone in the cemetery there. Yeah, still a lot of people that live there, uh, and I- I'm thinking at least five or six generations. Yeah. on that side. The Saints probably were a little later. To get to give people context, Newton County, I believe it is the most is the least populated county in Arkansas. It's close. There probably, may be maybe there, some of those southern counties. Yeah, maybe some of the southern counties where it's all farmland. Yeah, uh, but, you're right. But it's right. close, and it's also one of the poorest counties. Um, well, you know, Jasper's the county seat, and whether well, they got three hundred people in the yeah. county seat. Uh, I, I think fifteen, eighteen years ago, there were like eight thousand people. In Newton That's, County. Yeah, that sounds about right. Something like that. And part of what makes it seem really, really, um, you know, wild to me is a, a large portion of its national, it's public yes. land. Yes. Uh, so Newton County is, I, I tell people that Newton County would be like the epicenter of the Ozarks. Yeah. Would you, to, geographically. I think so. And it's in the Boston Mountains still, yeah. which is, you know, more rugged than, you know, you and I were talking earlier about how you go north from your place here and it actually starts looking like the Great Plains a little bit. You get on top yeah. of the Ozark Plateau. The Boston Mountains, where we are now, and going east toward Newton County, they they even get more rugged from here. Yeah, uh, and would Newton would be as rugged as we have, not necessarily biggest, because the biggest mountains in Arkansas aren't. That's not where they're at, like no. the tallest elevation. Mm-hmm. But in terms of just like steepness, karst topography. Mm-hmm. Deep hollows and mm-hmm. bluffs and rocky. going places that hadn't seen very many people or any people. I, I maybe I'm a little bit being romantic about this, but I think there are places in Newton County that probably haven't seen people. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's probably my favorite county, and I've not spent a lot of time there. I've never, I don't think I've ever hunted Newton County. Mm-hmm. I mean, we kind of just were like the classic tourists over there. You know, I mean, on the Buffalo River and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's it is spectacular. You know, I've never got a had a reason to say this, but now that we're talking about Arkansas and getting here, I'll use this as a reason to say this. The only reason I know this is because there was a a Newcomb family book that I have nothing to do with, but uh, but we have this Newcomb book, and it's a genealogy book, and it's like hundreds of pages long. And uh, somebody in our family put it together. I mean, nobody that I know. But the book goes down to uh, my father's name is actually in the book. So it goes wow. down to him. And uh, so so I'm a seventh generation Arkansan. And uh, so my kids would be eighth generations Arkansans. And Joseph Newcomb came from Scotland and then ended up in Kentucky I guess came through the Cumberland Gap into Kentucky and then ended up homesteading in Montgomery County, Arkansas, which is down in the Washitals, mm-hmm. down in a little community called Bumblebee, Arkansas. Never heard of Bumblebee, Arkansas. But, but they came <laughs> they came to Arkansas in eighteen twenty nine. 
Wow. Yeah. It, it, <clears throat> we have no family land. I mean, it, that story sounds really cool. I, and I love that story. But again, that the only reason I know that is because just by chance, somebody, some Newcomb did their homework. Somebody recorded it. And yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't anybody that I know, but, but, and we don't really have a, we have ties down there still, but you know, we don't have like family farms or anything, mm-hmm. but, but anyway, no, I, so I, I'm, I'm always interested in people that have deeper connections around here. You well, know, and, that, and I think part of mine is, uh, in Newton County, my grandparents owned a store. And actually, okay. there's a lot of a lot of people in my family that own stores. Uh, in Mount Judy, little old Mount Judy, I had two great aunts that owned stores. <laughs> Who knew huh. there would be two stores in Mount Judy? Yeah. And then my my grandparents, DeVoe and Lois, uh, they owned uh, Sains Grocery on Highway 7 between uh, Lurton and Jasper. Actually, Lurton and Cal, if you want to be more specific. And then my uncle Dennis owns it now. It's Who'd have thought it gift shop? So if you go, Who'd have thought it? Yeah, if you ever go up Highway Seven, Newton County, that's uh, there's a little it's white still house. There, huh? It's still there. Yeah, there's a little white house behind the store that that's where my my dad grew up. Um, and because I think because my my family owned businesses and and again like I said, the Heffley side, they were everywhere. I have name recognition, Newton Newton County, and also man people. I look a lot like my dad and uh, I've been at, at the Elk Fest in Jasper and I've had people from across the, the town square say, Hey, you're Johnny's boy, you're DeVoe's grandson. <laughs> they, and they've never met me. Yeah. Uh, but they could tell. They could tell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and um, so, and again, for never living there, yeah. I, I have a lot of connections and a lot of, um, I, I really feel at home there. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. That's neat. Roots are it seems to be lost in a lot of our culture today, mm-hmm. but it's neat. Uh, talk to me about Ozark culture. I don't know. Give me a or or you, so so you're a cultural observer, or, or what's your interest in in this part of the world? I really, I, it started one to understand why I'm the way I am. Yeah. Which I think, you know, being introspective is probably the gateway to a lot of education and uh, seeking knowledge. Um, but I wanted to understand more the way I was. And uh, really when this hit, I went back to college when I was 40 years old. Okay. I finished my degree. And I had to take an anthropology class. And mm. uh, that's probably where it started. And, and then that led to um, – Again, more more curiosity about about why we why I'm the way I am, why this place is the way it is, you know, culturally, um, and so I started digging, you know, in, in the roots of our culture, which is uh, probably for most a lot of Southern culture and especially Southern Mountain culture and the Appalachians and of those arcs is Scots Irish culture. Yeah, you know, and you just said your your grandpa or your yeah. your ancestors came over from Scotland. Yeah, you know, mine mine did too for sure on my mom's side. It gets a little hazy on my dad's, but but they were Scots Irish. Yeah, and that's the basis of, of all this culture. It's 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 uh, uh, there's a book I read um, one one section of a book. There's a book called Albion Seed, and it's about seven, I believe it's seven different. English or, or British cultures that came over here to the U.S. Mm. and and one one section of that book is about the Scots Irish culture. It's called Border or 
back borderlands to the back country. And there, it was basically a collection of observ- observances from other folks about what they experienced in, in uh, the United States in these areas that were populated by Scots-Irish people. And what I found really interesting and, and was that a lot of the behavior they saw and recorded, I could actually see today. Mm. Do you have an <laughs> example could, of uh, it? Well, an example is what you and I are wearing. Yeah. Uh, we're sitting here. We both got beards. Yes. Uh, we're wearing flannel shirts. Yeah. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. We're basically dressed we're the same. Bas- yeah, we're basically, we both got on boots. You got on more Western style boots, but I, I've got on more hiking boots. Um, that style of clothing came over. Uh, mm. Wider, wider brimmed hats. Uh, uh, the the way women dress. Mm. Um, a lot of our food, a lot of our drink. Of course, whiskey is a big one. They, mm. they came over from Scotland and Ireland over to here, and then and we, now with the, I mean, kind of an epicenter of making whiskey would be Tennessee, Southern yeah, Appalachians. Tennessee, that's is right. That right. That's right. Yeah. And you know, and then illegal whiskey moonshine. That's of course legend in all all through Appalachian and yeah. Ozarks. Yeah. Um. So a, a lot of that is still present. It's our attitudes. Uh. You know. Attitudes about animals, about environmental issues. Okay. Uh, most Scots Irish culture or Scots Irish culture is mostly utilitarian. Okay. Uh, it's based on, uh, you know, largely that that population was poor. Yeah. And you didn't really think about the ethics or the why you were doing this when you went out to kill an animal to eat. I see. You didn't really worry about, you know, especially when you saw endless trees about how much you cut to build or to, to, to heat your home uh, because you didn't have any other options. Yeah. This is where we are. Po- this- poverty produces a certain mentality that excludes a lot of other considerations. It does. And you don't, you don't think very far into the future because your existence is day to day. Yeah. Uh, so I feel that right now, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> I do too often. Uh, so, you know, yeah, that's, that's carries over. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to explore why we, you know, why why was this way, why was that way, and this is where it led. Yeah. Um, a lot of there's a lot of good in the culture, or a lot. Let me say, there's a lot that I'm proud of in the culture. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a lot of bad. There's yeah. a lot of stuff that we need to maybe think. You know, maybe we need to do this differently now that we know yeah. more. Um, and actually understanding our culture is, you know, I, I said something earlier about being a critic of the culture. That's what allowed me to be a critic. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that necessarily looking for all the bad things. Sure. What I mean is analyzing the culture. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and parsing it out and deciding, you know, these are the things that, that were really great and these are the things that are not so great. Maybe we need to re, you know, take another yeah. look at these things yeah. and why we're doing them. Yeah. You know, introspection does that because we are handed a whole playbook of how to be humans by default. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... That is the order of the the planet. Yeah, is that you are you are handed a playbook of how to be a human by default, and you don't know any different now unless the, unless you look outside of that. Yeah. and try to find a different pattern. Or You're take, exactly right. Take different patterns You're from exactly other places. Right. Um, and and that um, you know, and I've often wondered why more people don't do that. Yeah. Um, it's it's really uncomfortable lots of times. Yeah, because you have to confront some things that, again, maybe maybe aren't really good. 
Yeah. Um, you have to accept them. You know, this is the way we did things, and, and that wasn't the right way to do things. And, you know, the list is long. Uh, we could yeah. <laughs> fill up a day talking about all the stuff we, we thought was okay back, you know, hundreds of years ago, and it's not now. Yeah. Um, but coming to terms with that, you know, realizing, yeah, that we need to change this, or I'm glad we changed this, and and, and not everything is was as rosy maybe as it was portrayed to us. Uh, uh, not everything was um, – was good for us do you think we that utilitarian ideology of environment and wildlife that certainly was here and i mean it was all over north america Mm -hmm. i mean this idea that we had like this vast endless resources of wildlife that we could just use at our discretion yeah like we've we've come a long way from that but we probably still have some of that we do have that um we still you know and it's hard to get into a, a lot of that a lot of that attitude comes from a dominion mindset and that was that came down from europe of course and it, it clashed with with almost every indigenous culture mindset across the world. Describe to me dominion mindset. Dominion mindset is, um, well, it's, it it comes from Genesis book of Genesis. Right. right. Uh, when, when, uh, Yahweh said, you know, all this is for you and you use it how you want to. Yeah. Okay. And that could be interpreted different ways. You know, people interpret, some people interpret it as being stewards, yeah, and that you know we use it, yeah, but we're responsible for it. We're responsible for the well-being of this place. Yeah, and then some people have the attitude that you know I can just take what I want because it was given to me, with yeah, okay. no regard to um, really anything else. Yeah, and and again, you know, I I don't want to um, I I don't want to say that that there's nuance involved. Yeah. Like we just talked about with with poor people, poor folks, man, you don't you don't really have need or you can't afford to contemplate, <laughs> you know, again, why you're doing this or why you're doing that. You got to eat, you got to stay warm, you got to stay clothed, you got to keep shelter going or keep yeah. shelter up. Um, so there, there's not a you know you don't have that luxury, yeah. and I'm well aware of that. Now nowadays, for the most part, most of us we do have that luxury. You know, yeah. uh, what we take from, from nature, we, we can think about, yeah. we can be thoughtful in our, yeah. in our choices and our uses. Yeah. Uh, but those old ways, <clears throat> those older utilitarian ways that were born out of necessity are, are hard to shake. Yes. They're you very know, hard to shake. There's, I want to talk about modern outdoor media with you. Mm-hmm. There's some things, though, about the modern narrative inside of hunting that are positive. And let me, let me, uh, I'm, I'm making a point here. I was talking to somebody recently that was a hunter, longtime hunter, almost zero influence from outdoor, modern outdoor media. Um, that came along with some good stuff, but also came along with some, stuff that I felt like they weren't totally updated on, you know, just the whole idea of being selective inside of hunting 
the whole idea of being, uh, you know, having a conservation mind frame, like what's, what's the best animal to take out for what, for whatever the management purposes were for the region, like what would be the best animal for me to take out? And I'm going to set my sights on taking out that animal and not something else. Um, you know, kind of just like movement away from like the brown is down philosophy for olive hunting. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the, it was like, I saw some holes kind of in the philosophy. And, uh, anyway, that being said, somebody that was being influenced by outdoor media today could take some of the good stuff and it be totally translated in something negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, anyway, just talking about the, the old philosophies, this utilitarian use of the landscape, I guess I'm trying to decide where, where the changes need to come, where it was good and where it was bad and where we're at today. Well, is that a fair it is, starting point? Again, a lot of these discussions, there's so much nuance. It's hard right. to, you know, it's not black and white and it's not yeah. a, there, there are caveats everywhere. Um, you know, speaking frankly, I'm, I'm closer to a brown is down guy than I am a, a management yeah, okay. or a trophy hunter. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, years ago, I, I started going down the, you know, mature whitetail bucks only, which is tough to do on public land in Arkansas. Yes. Um, started going down that road a little bit and, uh, there were aspects of that that, just weren't really palatable to me. Um, I think probably the the final straw, I, and I killed a, a couple on that quest in, in consecutive years. Um, but the final straw was that I watched a guy that I knew pretty well throw a hissy fit at the Big Buck Classic because his deer didn't measure out like he thought it should. Yeah. And, man, and I, you know, I, I don't want to say that – I'm going to say that was the the straw that broke the camel's back. There was a lot of other stuff building up to that, but I'm like, you know, I don't know if this is the right mindset for hunting. Yeah. And so, you know, now, and this ties into all other things in my worldview, uh, you know, we live on venison. My family does. Yeah. Um, we, because of my, my thoughts and uh, attitude about, animals in general um i'm i'm not real crazy about buying industrial industrial farm meat yeah i don't i don't buy meat from the grocery right. store yeah um we we live on venison we live on squirrel we buy some pork and some other meat from people that raise them the right way um and so my attitude when i go hunting is is number one is i want to fill the freezer yeah um but I approach that not in so much as this is mine to take is that, uh, <sighs> and again, it's hard. Say it, man. It I was, love it. I, know, I love it, it. It's hard to put all this into words. I want you to words, tell me though. why I'm wrong for <laughs> hunting the way I do because I, I, I'm, I'm duplicitous sometimes. Well, I am too, and I wrestle yeah. with all this. And sure. I understand that, you know, where we are today with, with human population and, and development, you know, we, we do have to manage deer herds. We do yeah. have to manage animal herds or animal populations. But at the same time, it almost feels, um, again, searching for the right words is tough. 
it it feels like we're getting away from hunting th- that the hunting that made us human, which was utilitarian. Yes, you know we Absolutely. we hunted to eat. Yeah. Um. So you know, and, and what we're doing now, and I, I wrote this. You and I had a discussion, I think, online about an article I wrote where this was in there. What we're doing now with hunting, really modern day hunting, is is an homage to what we were. Okay. We're trying to we're trying to capture some of that. We're trying to get back. What's the word you just used? Uh, homage. It's what does like that a, mean? It means like um um like a like a partial representation. Yeah, or like, like a, a like a well, shadow. Well, it's like we're paying tribute to it. Okay. Like we're like you know. Yeah. This is I see something. What you're this is who we were. This is where we came from, and and these uh, these roots that go back all these eons, you know, are. Uh, are still producing, um, you know, they're still leafing out on us, all, all this stuff that, that we were. And so we want to try to capture some of that. Um, it's kind of like a hat tip to it is, what we used to it be. It is. Okay. It is. I, it's I, a, I'm with a recognition probably is the best way to say it. Is homage. There, is yeah, that the homage, word H-O-M-A-G-E. Okay. I think. I mean, okay. people check that. <laughs> no, I don't have a spell check in front right, of me. It's all right. Um, but it, it's it's yeah like a hat tip like a, a a recognition that this is where we come from, and so when you start throwing these other these other things into these the mix, other variables like yeah. size of an animal yes. or management yes of a herd yes of then animals you're, then you're getting away from that a little bit and yeah. again I, I recognize the need yeah but at the same time I, it it feels then almost contrived. Yes. It feels like we're we're trying to trying to give ourselves justification for doing this stuff and we don't really need it. Yeah. Because this is what we do. Yeah. Um, so, man, we've gone all the way around here, and I forgot where we started. No, we, <laughs> we were talking about, you were telling me about, because I used the phrase brown is down yeah. in, in almost a negative sense. And you know what? I've had, uh, uh, I've had, I, you know, I'm trying to say this simply. I Some people have given me some flack for talking too much about being selective inside of hunting. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm mainly talking about black bear. Oh, okay. <clears throat> when I went about selection, and that's that's completely different. It's and and that's that's the point I was going to yeah. make about deer hunting. Even though I'm pretty selective with some portion of my deer hunting, mm-hmm. like we go out and shoot does and just have a blast. Oh yeah, and we do, and we we do the same. We we live off white-tailed deer meat, and uh, but when it comes to bucks, we're selective. Just this last weekend, I told my 14-year-old son and my 11-year-old son, I said, don't shoot spikes and forking horns. Yeah. I told them that. And well, they passed, They pa- bear, my son passed three legal bucks. This is a CWD zone, so we don't have antler restriction. Yeah. And he passed three legal bucks last weekend and hadn't killed a deer this year. And I felt good about that. Now, he had full right to shoot a doe or to shoot a big buck. So it was kind of like a... a collection of uh those two worlds you know because it- well let me let me stop you right there you mentioned okay so let me ask you this and i'm going to challenge you here yeah if we're talking about you're in a cwd zone and the game of fish wants you to kill these small bucks wouldn't that be the I'm a hypocrite i mean i'm just no you're exactly right because the small bucks the ones that are distributed yeah they're, they're moving they're, more they're yeah. Mo- yeah you're and i hadn't even thought about that yeah and see and that's where all of us, I think, have have this hypocrisy because I'm talking about. I mean, when I'm when I'm being selective on bucks, I'm doing it for one reason because 
we want to kill a big buck. Yeah. I mean, and, and I guess I'm just okay with that. Well, it's, but the, you know there's I mean? nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't killed <laughs> that's a, a That's a great point. I'm well, glad but, you brought that but, up. But it, it's just something to think about. And, you know, I'm, I'm not really selective. Actually, you know, the first, I need, we need four deer to feed us. If we get okay. four deer, that's, even if they're all four does, that's roughly, 160 pounds of venison to get us through. And that's yeah. what I need to feed right now. It's mostly my wife and my and me that are at home most of the time. My, my youngest daughter's 18, so she she sometimes eats dinner yeah. with us, sometimes not. Yeah. But um, we need four does. And so the, the first three deer that come by, I'm, you know, not, not fawns because they don't have enough meat. Okay. Uh, but the first three deer that come by, I'm probably going to try to put them in the freezer. Yeah. Uh, after that, if one of them, especially if one of them is a buck, I'm going to be a little more selective, mostly because I want to extend my season. Yeah. I don't want to quit yet. Yep. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I don't like big antlers. I mean, I do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I had not killed a, a uh, an older class buck, and when I say older on public land, I'm talking three years older. Yep. Older. Yep. Um. I hadn't done that in, in a few years, and this year I was lucky to kill one in the National Forest see, that was about three and a half years old. It's even a different, a little bit different playing field, though. We're hunting here in Washington County, private land. Yeah, which, that's different. It really is, man. Is I mean, different. I could, any afternoon we can go out and see deer and, and probably kill a deer if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. I mean, the hunting is, the deer populations are that high. So we feel a little bit more liberty to be that, selective. That is different. Now, hunting in, Ozark National Forest, like you're doing, just to kill a deer is a big deal. It is. It's a it's a challenge, and to yeah. kill a to kill a three and a half year old buck. Uh, oh, it's that's so. If that was if that was all the hunting that I was doing, my world would be different. Well, and you know what I mean. That may be the biggest difference in our philosophies about them because almost all of my hunting is done on public land. Yeah, uh, yeah. and a large part of it is in the Ozark National Forest and some of it over is over at Hollaby and yeah. National Wildlife Refuge. See, again, I'm, I I live in multiple worlds at the same time. When we hunt private land here in Washington County, we're pretty darn selective. I also hunt in Washtenaw National Forest down there, and I've been trying to kill just a buck <laughs> for <laughs> – the last three seasons, pretty hard and heavy. Yeah. And I did pass one that I wish I hadn't. But, uh, oh, man, it's a different world down there. And it means a whole – if I if I killed a mature buck down there where I'm hunting, it would mean more to me than all these private land deer mm. from Arkansas. It really would. Yeah, I understand. There's a, there's a correlation. Would. There's a relationship there between the effort uh, and, the, and the degree of difficulty. Yeah, yeah, but and and the and the feelings of satisfaction, I yeah. get that completely. Well, this is a great example of how a part of what is the difficulty of hunting, and probably of every other human endeavor, where people are gathered together around a passion and activity, is that you're playing on a different field in the Ozark National Forest than the guy in Southeast Kansas. Yeah. And, and 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 but but we're trying to have the same conversation. Yes. And so it's it's hard for completely different perspectives. You know, and I thousand percent I have limitations not only do I hunt public land and, and I'm not saying my way is the best way everyone needs to do it, but I have pretty principled limitations on how I hunt. I I don't yes. use a camera, I okay. don't use any kind of bait, I don't use any sense. 
Uh, I have a cover scent that smells a little bit like white oak acorns. That's, oh, that's, that's cheating, Johnny. <laughs> that's the only thing I use. And uh, I hunt a bow hunt. I haven't, and I haven't gun hunted in 25 years. Well, really? so you're just bow hunting. Well, to give you, uh, I've, I've been bow hunting. I've been hunting since I was a kid. I've killed one deer with a rifle and I've killed probably, and I'm not, I'm not bragging, just give you an idea where I'm coming from. Uh, and against over 30, 30 years, I think I've killed a hundred and some odd deer with a bow. On uh, public land. Uh, well, not all of them. Some of them have been yeah. on private land. Yeah. Uh, but I only bow hunt. I try to limit my shots. Uh, years ago, I tried to go down what you're doing now with stick bow. Yeah. And I just, just wasn't, wasn't to the level of accuracy that I thought I needed yeah. to be. I ended up yeah. killing one doe with stick bow, and then I was like, man, I'm, I'm just not there. But, and uh, again, kind of paying homage to that spirit, I'd limit my shots to 25 yards with the yeah. compound. Um, and so I've got these stipulations, uh, you know, already setting the degree of difficulty is pretty high. Yeah. Um, and so when I get a deer within 25 yards – Broadside doing it that way, you know. I don't know shoot, if I, yeah. yeah, I'm probably well, going to shoot. And I didn't know you were bow hunting. Yeah, I mean, I knew you did bow hunt. Yeah, that's, but I didn't know that you were exclusive. Pretty exclusive. And kill yeah. to kill four deer with a bow on public land in the Ozark National Forest. That's a that's a big season. It, it is. That's a that's a lot of takes. You don't just go out and see deer probably even every time you no hunt. i don't um yeah. you know there there are a lot of deer but uh figuring out exactly where they're gonna come through again 25 yards from you yeah uh no it, you don't see deer every time you don't see large numbers of deer right, right. uh you know it, yeah it's a, it's a totally different and again i've hunted private land uh, i was on yeah. lease for a few years and you know it was nothing there to set on food plot and see 15 deer yeah. And and uh pretty much every any evening you wanted to. Yeah. Uh no, that's not the way it is now. Uh I, I keep a journal and I think I had uh I look right quick, but I, I think a hundred hundred nineteen times this year and I've seen twenty nine deer. Oh wow. And that's just what I've seen. And uh, let's see. Twenty nine deer and I've had with deer within thirty yards of me, I've had eleven does and eight bucks. I'll be darn. That's that's good intel. And I, and I tagged out. Uh, killed my sixth deer two days ago. Did you really? Yeah, with your bow. With my bow. That's so, doing something, John. So I'm 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 done, which I'm a little sad about. <laughs> For real. See, I was I was thinking you were you were gun hunting a lot. Nope. That's I, that's, I, I that's don't, doing something, man. Said I haven't done that again. It's probably been twenty five years. I'll be darn. Wow, that's awesome, man. And that was actually the deer I killed gun hunting was at Devil's Den. I was with my father-in-law. Oh, really? Yeah, Over here? Yeah, not far from, from okay. here. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be darn. Well, um, let's see. Homage. That's a new word. I like that. Um, you know, I guess in a way, I feel like that the hunting space that I live in is is exactly that. It's an homage. It's a hat tip to what we were. But it's it's we've added some layers of complexity to it. Almost like, you know, we're sitting here in a modern building with sheetrock and, you know, asphalt <laughs> shingles. And uh it's like, yeah, we used to live in huts made from mm-hmm. buffalo I don't know. I don't know what they're made of. 
But I mean, like we we used to live in primitive shelters. Well, this is this is a more complex shelter, you know. And so, like adding in this idea of, you know, and and the word trophy hunting is such a loaded word, even though the roots of trophy hunting, that phrase, came from the Boone and Crockett Club mm-hmm. in 1889 when they were trying to take the emphasis off. The young and females coming from a market hunting mentality yeah. of people that were killing deer and critters to make a living. Yeah. You know, they we need the populations that they, they need to help the population. They were trying well. to find a way. They were trying to find a way to change the whole of the hunting culture. And so they, they, they put a quantitative value on antlers and horns. And they said, you know, and they, in, in the way they did, you know, they were like, this has value. And so they, Trophy hunting. Have you ever heard it said that trophy hunting is actually what saved North American wildlife? I have, and it's and it, I agree with that. It, it changed it, the mentality. It changed the mentality. Yeah. It took the emphasis off females and young and put it on older age class males. Which so it's almost like now there that's still there, and that has become polluted. Just like any human endeavor, there's this original strain that was probably pretty pure, mm-hmm. and then it. Yeah, it can sprout off and turn into something terrible. Oh yeah, you know. I think that, and actually, I think that trophy hunting probably has roots way back um, when we did have to, you know, hunt to live. I know um, I've read quite a bit about the San people, which uh, you may have heard them called the Bush people okay. in the Kalahari and in Africa, one of the last hunter gatherer cultures. Okay, still still going, uh, and I, I'm not sure their status right now, but. Um, I know I, there's a video on YouTube. It's probably one of my my favorite. I don't I don't watch many hunting videos, but it's one of my favorite where it shows uh, some of those those men pursuing a kudu, hmm. and they actually chose that kudu with the biggest horns, okay, because it was had the most mass body mass and it would tire the quickest. And they ran this sucker down. I mean, they weren't sitting in a on stand. Foot. They ran it down. Okay, and that's why they chose it though. It was hmm. carrying more weight. It would overheat quicker. And they could kill it. Now, do you think that was just a justification for them? The one with the big horns. No, I don't. Are think they that, not doing the same thing we're doing? No, I don't think they cared at all about the horns. Um, <laughs> uh, but it, you know, so there's and then you know, so you, there's that's interesting because I've never heard of roots of. That's what I was about to ask you if you knew in the literature of Native American tribes that that gave precedence to big antler game uh, there's something there's something very appealing about big antlers of course so there but I, I don't know of anything that's quite as you know direct as that video i just told you about yeah. um you know but also associated and it's still this way of course you know there's a lot of um there's a lot of ego attached to antler size sure um and and there's some prestige when yeah. you bring that big beast would that, in, would that have a European influence too? I think it's probably. I think it's indigenous, and it started in indigenous cultures in Europe and Africa, and probably in North America. You know, typically animals that carry bigger headgear have more meat. That's, okay, that's more okay. stuff. So it, more, it, it represented something more than that. Yeah, it was like big antlers would also be connected to big meat. Yeah, big meat, and and again, uh, all this other stuff that's still part of it today. Uh, you know, you outsmarted and killed a wise animal, uh, an older one, an older animal. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you know. But I would a meat know. would a meat culture put value on 
on that, or would they just be happy they had meat? Uh, Do you well, understand probably, what I'm saying? Yeah, probably, but there's probably a little bit of both. Um, yeah. You know, the relationship that those cultures had with the animals, you know, they were meat, of course, but then they also viewed them, and again, I'm not an expert, but I think that largely the relationship was, um, it was deeper than, than just the meat. Yeah, okay. Um you know, there there was more to it than that, and and they of course they lived in in they had relationships with these animals that we can't understand because we don't have to kill them to eat. Yeah, uh, we don't. Uh, you know, that's part of what I'm trying to get back is, right. is the foster that relationship with whitetails. You know that that indigenous you know my ancestors back in Europe had with red deer. Right. Um, you know this this relationship that um, is of course grateful and, and you know, it's, it's not totally sincere because I'm not dependent on the meat, but I, I, I want to be dependent on the meat. Man, that's, I've never really thought about it, but I really, I don't want to stop you because that, I like that idea that you want to regain the connection with the animal that we hunt as if it was, our whole sustenance yeah. because like the the native american tribes that relied on buffalo like that would have informed the way that they viewed that animal because and, and it wasn't it wasn't a it, it it was legitimate i mean it wasn't you, you couldn't fabricate what they had you couldn't no. fabricate it today the depth of the relationship yeah it was it was so much deeper than most people you know and i that's what I'm it's trying true. to. But that's what I'm trying to reach. Um, what do you think? That's what do you think the end goal of that is, Johnny? I mean, like, what is that? What does it look like? Because, well, that but that changes your whole attitude, and I've noticed it in myself trying to get there. Uh, it changes my attitude about everything. It changes my attitude about um, about the deer specifically. This specific deer that I killed, I have a different attitude about it now than I did before. It's it's not just a it's not just an animal I'm shooting. Uh, it it also changes my views about where I killed the deer. I, I, now I have a more holistic view of everything. You know, I understand that, uh, you know, this deer is a product of the forest, and and the forest is a product of these eons of of time and and. Uh, <laughs> I'm struggling yeah. here for the right no, words. No. I wrote an I wrote an essay called Blood Brother uh, last year that tried to put into words how I felt about the deer. Um, and actually, I can we read that online? Yeah, you can read it online. I, I, it's published in Hatch Magazine, which is a fly fishing magazine. But the Chad Schmuckler, the editor, gives me some liberties on what I what I write for him. Um, but I actually drew inspiration from a, a bear hunting story. Huh. Uh, in Arkansas, called it's called the Big Bear of Arkansas. Yeah, yeah, and the the character is a fiction, but Jim the, Daggett. Yeah, Doggett. Doggett. Doggett, because he was a, he's a hunter. Dogged, you know. That's I think that's where he got it. Doggett. Yeah, Doggett. Gotcha. Uh, but anyway, the 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 fictional character Doggett said that this bear he was pursuing, which was a legend, that he loved the bear like a brother. Yes. And I, I wrestled with that. You know, what does that mean? Um. He said that while the dogs, wasn't he watching the dogs chase this bear? And he said, I saw him 
running up the mountain, and I loved him like a brother. Yes, I think that's what I it mean, was. I mean, it was like in the heat. It wasn't like after he killed it. No, it was in the heat of the pursuit. It was in, in the, the pursuit that he came to this, you know, I've this, forgotten this about feelings. that. Yeah. I read that, and that that struck a chord with me, and, and it, I'm glad, yeah, he said he loved him like a brother. Yeah, and, and so, you know, but, but wrapped up in all those, you know, sometimes uncomfortable emotions, um, you know, and most men especially, have a hard time saying they love anything, but you know, my feelings about the whitetail, uh, whitetail deer were strong already, but through this, you know, again, contrived dependence because I don't want to eat any other meat. Um, it, it's created a, a deeper, again, I, I told you, and I'm stumbling for words. <laughs> um, if you were writing it, it'd, it'd flow be, it'd be, like it'd be easier. Yeah, well, I'd have to write a bunch of stuff and then go back and edit it and come up with these new thoughts. I have time. No, to you're think a about great it. writer, man. I just um, it's harder for me to put on the spot to come up with the words because it's such a complex subject. Um, well, I think what you're describing though is the thing that we see, kind of, we see a shadow of it inside of this just general idea of respect for the game that we. We harvest, except I, I recognize that what you're saying, I think, is probably deeper. I, I think sometimes, you know, in outdoor media, we've we've heard that word so much that maybe we think that just means when you kill an animal, just look at it and touch it and say, <laughs> wow, I really respect this and think it's beautiful and I'm grateful for the meat. I don't know, just kind of a... It, it's, it's become a little hollow, yeah, because people but, have overused it. Uh but it means it does mean more than that, you know. Not just, and I, I'm thinking again, speculating because I can't get in the mind of hunter gatherer culture. But I, I can't I have a hard time believing that, believing that this that this didn't what didn't happen. Lots of times when when uh, someone killed an animal, was not only was there the realization, of course, that this is meat that's going to feed us, but also a a sense of kinship. Uh, in the in the sense that you know my mortality, I, I'm mortal. I'm going to die one of these days too, just like this deer died. Not in yeah. the same manner, but but it's a confrontation of your own mortality. What do you think it would look like when you reached a place of satisfaction about that sensing? I don't know that I ever will. You know, in in that essay I wrote about, you know, gutting the deer. And, you know, looking at all the internal organs and realizing that they're the same things that are in me. Yeah. The stomach, the intestines, moving up on it and the heart and lungs. And I, I remember I pulled out his heart. It was a buck that I killed that I wrote about. And I pulled out his heart and, you know, it was probably a little bigger than mine. But it probably in, in almost every other way, it looked exactly the same as mine does. Yeah. Um, And so this understanding and acknowledgement that's that's of of my place uh, as not necessarily a, a human but as an animal that's kind of what i'm looking for um and and again when you do that and you you think about those connections then it you often pause to confront your own mortality yeah um you know i i, I think that's probably one of the first things that led to uh, sense of spirituality 
I think the idea is, uh, I mean, simple in some way is that that you're 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 looking for a deeper way to connect to this thing that your your heart says is really really highly valuable. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that inside of hunting, a lot of times I look at the way that I the passion that I have for hunting, and I recognize that my words, my actions, my thoughts, my media that I produce does not do justice to what has actually happened. That's exactly why I'm struggling with this. Well, I can't, uh, it, I guess this has probably been the aim of a lot of writers is, yeah. uh, communicators, you know, how do you put all these emotions and these, these, uh, everything that's, that's encapsulated in that moment, you know, when you release the arrow, pull the trigger, and how and, do you put all that into words? How do you explain that to people that, that, you know, even though they hunt, maybe not see things yeah. the same way you do. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's the thing that that we've got to just keep trying to do is to is to explore that and explain it. And I, and I think it's maybe even simpler than than that. You know, we are spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it it would hard it would be hard for me to even hear someone you know a complete atheist that just i mean didn't or maybe that's not the right word what what's the other word for someone who uh, and, and there's agnostic ag- agnostic, agnostic. Right? you know it would be hard for them to even biologically to me explain how we wouldn't be a spiritual being you know like and so to me when we hunt like what i'm chasing is a is an explanation and an understanding of why this thing that I've done, which ultimately roots back to my very primitive roots as a human, mm-hmm. it roots back to my family this very day. Mm-hmm. Because, like, hunting is ultimately provision for family. It I mean, is. The, 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 the human nature of I am going to go gather protein for my family so they can live, even though that's a physical act, yeah, I think it's. I think it it captures something. It's also a spiritual act. Yeah. It's it's the basis. I mean, and that's why hunting, it's hard to describe. It is, and hunting was, uh, you know, was the the basis of all culture. Yeah, it really was. How we how we get our food. Yes, is the is the foundation of all culture. And you can go, you know, of course now we're with globalization. You can find you know we can find Cajun food up here in yeah. Arkansas, but Louisiana is one of my favorite examples. That entire culture was built. You know, on the food which came from the marsh. Yeah, um, every culture. I like what you said. Culture is built upon how we acquire food. Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, you know, go back even further. That's you know, and then then the type of food that we eat is is built from the physical environment that we live in. Yes. So the 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 region, the mountains, it's the all river. it's all encompassed really in the phrase a sense of place. A sense of place. Yeah, and I can't yeah. remember who said that first. I don't know if it was Leopold, um, maybe Wendell Berry. I can't yeah. remember. But anyway, yeah, having a sense of place, and and that that ties into you know I my hunting too. I I don't hunt anywhere except uh, pretty much the River Valley and Ozark Mountains. Yeah. There's something about um, killing and eating these deer that are from the same place I am. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know why it is. I've, I've traveled out of state once or twice for deer and I used to travel quite a bit for turkeys. Um, but there's something about, um, again, these, these animals that, that are from my home. Right. That there seems to be, you, right. you're the same way, you know, you yes. said almost all these deer in here are from Arkansas. Yeah. Um, I don't know why that is. You know, I've, I've said that a lot. People that listen to this podcast would know it is that I put way more value on a locally hunted animal than mm-hmm. anything I travel. And, and I travel a lot. I did my, my job has allowed me to travel to hunt bears and travel to hunt some deer. And, uh, man, I, I killed a deer in Canada three weeks ago. Big deer. I would trade that Canada deer for a 130-inch Arkansas whitetail buck down in the National Forest where mm-hmm. I hunt. I, I promise you, I'm not just saying that. I would I would throw that deer in the trash if I knew I could go down there and kill one in its place. I understand. That, that has value. And, my, and I know exactly where I got that from. My dad intentionally built that in us i think as a mechanism to calibrate me and probably himself for seeing a lot of guys in the late 80s and early 90s start to travel to hunt Mm -hmm. that's kind of when whitetail hunting kind of became really pretty commercialized Mm -hmm. and the midwest became famous and hunting canada and guys started traveling and guys started elk and they were doing it before but it was like the economic status of the u.s was pretty good in the 80s and 90s and people started to have a little bit of money and could travel and and we started getting hunting magazines and hunting movies and i think he saw that and was like this what we're doing is well what were you cooler than what are that. you chasing when you're going out of, out to these places to do it what are you actually looking for i mean why did you go out of state to hunt are you asking me yeah, I'm asking is this you, rhetorical I'm a, question no i'm asking you why for did the you go experience state? I can and I can understand that. And and I mean and then absolutely to bring home a good animal. Okay. I mean and and that's a place where I I voluntarily say there's probably some hypocrisy. There's two places that I would reside cuz I would reside in this like local hunter that values being able to kill deer within a mile of my house. But then also yeah, I'll go to Canada and shoot a deer. I bring the meat home. I understand. Uh, that's I went to Illinois, and I, I didn't kill a big deer, but I killed a nice deer in Illinois. And I went there because I wanted a big antlers. Yeah, you know that that was years ago. Yeah, but now I I think about that, and I you'd have trouble with that. I now? would. I just wouldn't do it. I just can't. Do I it. couldn't. No. The I've considered the turkeys again because there's just not very many turkeys in Arkansas anymore. Uh, but right. still, I would rather spend two weeks chasing a gobbler the national forest that I may never get a shot at is I had to go to Kansas and kill and, one in the first day. Yeah. And you know, exactly going to Kansas when I would go, it was like a video game, you know, yeah. <laughs> there were turkeys everywhere. Yeah. And at that time they weren't messed with. Nobody yeah. knew how to hunt them up there. Yeah. Uh, but there's, there's something, not only the challenge, you know, but, but again, the, that, that sense of place, I think, you know, yeah. there's a, a connectivity, between me and the turkey or me and the deer just because we're both from here. And that is the one thing that you lose when you travel to hunt is a, is a sense of place. Mm-hmm. Like what, what I think you're getting value from by hunting locally is that, man, I've been here my whole life. I know these mountains. I know these deer. I know what kind of trees these are. It's, it's a practical application, yes, because you're a much more effective 
You're well, and that's your, not even your... what I'm saying. I'm, oh, I'm okay. even talking about it from like a philosophical standpoint. Like, you know how these mountains were formed. You yeah. know where this creek runs to. You know what kind of other animals there are. Like, you have you have you you have a place there. Yeah, you have a holistic sense. And then you go to Canada, and and man, this is where traveling to hunt does. If you bring that same value system, does seem hollow, and it does to me. I mean, I was up in Canada. And I'm like a transplant for one week to go up there and hunt. And it's that that hunt doesn't have the same value to me as this one does. Do you do any of your own scouting up there or do you just go sit where they tell you to sit? You know, I've been up there three times with the same guy. So I know his farm and it's a pretty, I mean, it's, it's an outfitted hunt for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be legally. Uh, but I, I, I forgot about that. Uh, but we, it's it's more of a deal where you're going to this guy's farm and hunting kind of where you want to. But mm-hmm. absolutely, we're hunting in places that he would have shown us. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it, and it's it's it is a homage to. I mean, it's a it's a hat tip to to something that was because mm-hmm. it's not. We're 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 trying to shoot a big deer and bring home you know a bunch of meat because those deer are big. Yeah, those but, are monsters up there. Yeah. But no, I I absolutely recognize the it's not the same. No, and it's again I, I struggle for anything outside of that that very um vague statement sense of place. Yeah. I mean, you know, for why I feel that way, but but I don't. I, I do it with all my outdoor pursuits. I, I wanna I wanna fish for smallmouth locally. You know, I don't want to travel very far to do that. Um that's the only that's the only reason I can come up with it. And again, trying to define that yeah. is tough. Yeah. Um it's just as tough as defining why I set these parameters for the way I want to kill deer and I don't yeah. want to do it another way, you know, searching for this. Does that does that make it wrong though? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Not th- I don't and I don't I don't want to say that it's, you know, wrong for anyone else to go out of state and kill deer or go fish yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I like adventure too, you know. I've- what 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 would a guy need to do to calibrate himself though? Because I think what we're talking about in essence is what could be wrong with some portion of the hunting world is that we're chasing antlers, we're chasing ego, we're chasing I th- I think um you know, talking to Actually, I think this for pretty much everything. Uh, lack of thought thoughtfulness is probably the root of all sin. Lack of thoughtfulness. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. If you if you're not considering why you're doing this, mm-hmm. if you're not um, concerned with your motives, yes, you know, questioning. Um, and I'm not saying you need to be, you know, justifying or 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 trying to find bad, you know, nitpicking like that. I'm saying that just ask yourself, why am I doing this? Well, I think you're exactly what am right. I looking because for? I I have no misconceptions of what I'm doing when I go to Canada. Mm-hmm. You and know, I what like I mean? that honesty. You know, I, I, again, and I, that's not something that I want to do. Yes, but if you're, you know, don't try to paint me this picture and sell me on the idea that you're doing this for all these other reasons. You know, and I think that's that's actually one of the we're going to go down another rabbit trail here, but. Uh, you know, one of the justifications I hear for hunting is that uh, we talked about earlier was population control. Right. You know, I don't know how many people really hunt for that reason. They yeah, throw right. it out there, right. you know, as justification. But really, how many people go kill deer because they think it's doing, you know, helping the environment? It's just an add-on. 
it's just an it's just a kind of a an add on reason why we should do it's, it. It's a, yeah, it's not a bad thing, but right. but don't tell me that it's not the know. only reason. No, we're that's going not out. why you're oh, doing it. Oh, we got to control it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so honesty, sin, uh, 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 sincerity, um, and again, thinking about why you're doing these things. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, as as would be in most of life, having a having the right internal posture. Un- at least understanding your motivations and being honest about it is important. Mm-hmm. Is Im- absolutely important. And, and so, you know, we're we're talking about we've been dancing around this, I think, but we haven't got to, and it's something we said we want to talk about. Johnny, pull your mic just a little bit closer. Right there. There you go. Yeah, okay, it's something we've danced around a little bit, and you and I talked about talking about it, but you know, baiting. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um. We let's talk about what it's done in Arkansas for deer, and we're talking about deer. Yeah, yeah, because because bear hunting is a totally different. Yeah, you know that's totally different than deer hunting. Uh, but but you and I have had some off mic discussions about about baiting deer and and uh, you know the pros of course nowadays is uh, it gets more hunters out there. Yeah, um, I, I'm hard pressed to find other pros besides that. Um, there's a lot, long list of cons. Um, and, you know, top of the list for me is, you know, losing that, that whole sense of what hunting is about. Yeah. You know, if, and, and, um, I I don't understand, I've, I've wrestled with this, you know, and I've hunted over bait. I'm not coming at this from an elitist, you know, stand, uh, position. I've done it. I, I, it's. I'm not going to say it's necessarily easier all the time, but it, it does make things a little more predictable. For sure. Um, and especially if you're hunting, you know, places that don't see a lot of pressure or on some private land uh, that, yeah. you, that you only have access to, it makes things easier. Um, but is is easier what we need to be doing? Right. You know, is that is that justification? When actually, you know, the whole point of hunting actually, like we mentioned an homage to a time – when it was much harder yeah. and we've already got all these other benefits, man, we yeah. got, you know, compound bows, we got rifles, we got, uh, sin absorbent clothing, tech fire. We got, the the ozone stuff now that's supposed to, yeah. <laughs> I, I've never used that, but you know, scent killing spray, um, camouflage, uh, game cameras, grunt yeah. calls, you know, synthetic ester scent. We got all these other advantages. Yeah. Um that you know probably taken as a whole given that we are not full-time hunters anymore. You know, we all have to pay bills and we live in this this civilization and we have to we have these other obligations. We can't spend all this time in the woods to learn all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of those that, that's that's fine, but but then where do you draw the line on that? Yeah. Um or where does it become something that is totally different? Well, from what it was. Yeah, where does, you know, just giving an, speaking very frankly, I don't understand how you could rifle hunt over corn. I don't understand why you would want to ever rifle hunt over yeah. corn. You know, that to me is. Um, Unless your whole objective in the deepest depths of your heart was just to hunt the most efficient way to gather meat. Uh, yes. Which is usually. 
exactly the opposite for someone that would do yes. that. Yes. Yes. That exactly. You know, yeah. yeah if, if if a feller needed to go kill a deer to feed his family, I absolutely get that. But if if you're if, if you if you, if you have the a, means to do all this to put up a you know a big corn feeder and fill it with corn, put you up a big ladder stand and a camera right there to make sure the deer you know you know exactly when the deer is coming by. You don't need the meat, more than likely. Yeah, you you could you could use your financial resources in other ways to procure protein. Yes. So what are you gaining? What what's the you know what's I don't understand what your goals are here. Right. Uh, I don't understand. Um, I don't understand the motivation. Yeah. You know, part of the, the appeal to me and the reason I hunt the way I hunt is, is I, I like the, uh, the anticipation and the not really knowing what's going to happen. The uncertainty. Yeah. The uncertainty. Uh, that's what makes it, you know, to me that, uh, this is an old, old story I've heard before and about fishing, but you know, a, a fisherman died and he, 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 uh, he ended up in this place where, you know, this Creek and it was full of fish and every cast, Every cast, he was catching three and four and five pound bass. And he thought he was in heaven for the first hour. <laughs> and then he realized he was in hell because that's that, that mm. absolute certainty mm. about this is what's going to happen. That kills all the magic. That kills the I whole see. experience. I see. You know, you're, you're, you're not going to the grocery store. You're going yeah. out to pit your skills, you know. Ideally, and you know, if you want to try to define hunting, I guess you're 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 going out to pit your skills against the wild animal. Yeah. Um, see if you can bring the animal home. When you now that would be an homage to what it, it would be it, a a hat tip because that's not what a Native American would have gone out into the woods for. No, he would have gone out there. He wouldn't. I guess functionally, he was pitting his skills against a wild animal, but. He was going out there to get dinner. To kill, yeah, to kill an animal to bring home. So he didn't care if there was no ceremony no, inside mean, of it or not. No, we ran, you know, uh, back in the Pleistocene, they ran them off cliffs. They'd ran a, run a herd of yeah. mammoth or bison off off a bluff, you know, and go down to the bottom and butcher them. Yeah. So, no, all that sportsmanship and all that stuff, that's a construct of where we are today. Again, yeah. trying to pay tribute to the old ways. Yeah. But we have all these modern conveniences. Um, so, you know, again, where, yes, we need some to offset again, our, our lacking, our lacks, because we don't yeah. have the time to spend out there to, to be full-time hunters, but where, where's the line there? Could, could, um, would, and we're using the, the, the pendulum, the, you know, the, you know, the furthest swing of possibilities, of rifle hunting over a pile of corn as mm -hmm. our as our analogy. Probably going to make a lot of people say that. Uh, said that uh, but I don't care. I mean, <laughs> I'm just like you. I've hunted over. I've I've killed plenty of deer over over corn yeah. with a bow. Yeah, mainly. that's why with a bow. And, and I can talk about my my thoughts <clears throat> on all that. But would it not be the efficiency that we've seen in every other part of life? I mean, is it not just the trend of the age, though? And I'm not defending it. No, I'm I just get what you're saying. It. It, I mean, it because like is. we we drive faster cars, we drive smoother cars, we want faster internet, we want more efficient. Like I don't want to call you on the phone anymore. Yeah. I want to text you mm -hmm. because talking to you on the phone is too cumbersome because mm -hmm. I have to greet you and do some pleasantries. Like, how are you doing? You, you doing all right? Just want to get to the point. I want to say, when are you going to be here? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it is. It's the is same. that not hunting over? You know, it is. So but, it's like the trend of the age is is moving towards that. But is that 
Does that make no? I'm not no, defending it, it, it. No, and I get it, and that's what I'm saying though. Is that why I don't really understand then why you're hunting? Yeah, I mean because unless your motivation is just to gather meat in yeah, the most efficient that way, would, that would be it. Yeah, and I, again, I, as a meat hunter, it's hard for me to find fault there. But at the same time, part of the part of the whole the uh, the reason I like getting the, killing the deer for my meat is the experience. Yes. You know, and you're losing okay, that experience. Here, here's the, uh, try this on though. So, it's almost like a, I'm going to compare it to a roller coaster. So, a roller coaster is this false sense of adventure and danger that's totally calculated, totally safe. Mm-hmm. It it actually has nothing inside of it that the emotions of being on that roller co- coaster causes you to believe is happening yeah that's a good analogy yeah that's an excellent analogy because like you get on a roller coaster to experience something in the human you know Mm -hmm. to to, an omah i keep i love that word man you know a hat tip to like when there was real danger Mm -hmm. and if you were really in danger and if you were really doing something wild and crazy you get on a roller coaster with no real danger and get to feel the highs and lows of thinking you're about to die but not actually do it i mean so but we're kind of already doing that anyway with hunting because we all, again, modern day hunting, because we have all these advantages and we yeah. don't need, you know, really we don't have to kill these animals. We can go to the grocery store. Yeah. We don't have to go to any effort. You know, we just yeah. go to the grocery store and, 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 and buy the meat. But I, I don't, you know, and that's, that's the big reason I don't hunt with a camera. I don't use a game camera and that's, everybody does it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I'm not saying that I've, uh, I'm not saying anything bad about it. It's just a personal choice. I don't want to know that I can sit here this day and at 830, this buck's going to walk by. Yeah. I like the idea of putting in my time and, and figuring out if there's deer yeah. walking by, just based on sign that I found. You know, I found this rub line. Okay, I, I'm just going to put in my time here and earn this. Yeah. I like the idea of that. What if... What if making hunting easier? Well, I, I think the whole philosophy of making hunting easier has been for hunter recruitment. Do you think it has? And so here we are in 2019. Civilization is moving away from us. It is. I mean, like the the planet and its philosophies and its worldviews is moving away from us, and that is the ultimately the biggest threat to our. Way of life. I mean, we're these guys living in the Ozarks that like, man, I like to be able to go out in my backyard and shoot deer. I like to be able to go bear hunt and have a liberal enough season to actually have a chance of killing a bear. I want my sons, when they're 40 and 50 years old, to be able to do the same thing. How do I make, how do I ensure that 50 years from now, this is going to be here? Do I make hunting harder? I'm not trying to prove a point. I I get what you're saying. I'm asking you. Do we do we make hunting hard because the way that you're hunting is harder, or do we keep making it easier? Because it's easy, it is easier. There's no doubt about it. To pour out a pile of corn and shoot a deer with a rifle because people want easier. So it's like, where is that? Where is that line? Because I mean, honestly, I think if we, I mean, you see it happening in states where they have snuffed out. Like, in, I'll use Colorado as an example. Can't bait in bear hunting in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can't use hounds. They eliminated the spring season. 
and you can't use bait. All those things you used to could do. There used to be a thriving bear hunting culture in Colorado. Today, bear hunting in Colorado is as a as a as compared to other big game species in Colorado, the hunt is just the knees were taken out of it. Very few people. They've increased the degree of difficulty so much that yeah, it's they, pushed it, them out. It takes diehards. Yes, to, and the diehards are very small in number. Yeah. That's right. So if we in Arkansas <clears throat> and see for me and you, this would be awesome. If they said, you know what, you can't use game cameras, you can't use corn, and you can't use guns. So you got to use bows. And you know what? You can't even hunt on private land. You got to hunt on public <laughs> land. Like, we would snuff hunting out. Yeah. Would we not? Well, tell me, tell me if I'm I wrong. I don't know. Okay. The last. The or would la- it make it stronger? That's what I'm wondering. You know, the one of the books that, that I read uh, years ago that really helped shape who I am today was David Peterson's Heart's Blood. Yeah. And in that, he makes an argument that we don't need more hunters. We need better hunters. Okay. Um, now, he means, you know, conscientious is what he means, not necessarily more okay. skilled. Okay. But, but I think that goes hand in hand. Uh, but the last polls I saw, most of the non-hunting public approve of hunting. You know. Right. Politically, I don't, I don't think we're in danger. Um, I actually think the biggest danger we have is when – we decrease the level of difficulty to the point that non-hunters see it okay, as I'm shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, that we're just going out there for bloodlust. That okay. that we're not, you know, paying homage like we said we were. Mm-hmm. That we're not, you know, uh, trying to to uh, respect and and hold on to this heritage, but we're just going out there to kill stuff. And so, you know, that actually concerns me more than dwindling hunting numbers. Now, there's a whole other okay. as far see, as as far I, as politically. Now, 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 let me let me add a caveat there. You know, of, of course, dwindling hunting numbers are not good for game agencies, for wildlife agencies, yeah. because that you know, the, the bulk of their yeah. their resources funding comes from license sales. Yeah, um, I think there are other ways around that too. But as far as again politically, uh I don't know. I don't Man, know. Man, I like what you said, Johnny, because I, I wasn't building a case. Oh, I mean, no, I, I didn't I, think that at well, all. No, 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 no. You're playing devil's I was, advocate. I was building a case yeah. for why we should let it. Mm-hmm. But it, th- that feels to me like a Band-Aid. It does. It, it is. It feels like a fix that's not long-term that eventually would end in some kind of really negative consequence. And we would end up in a place totally different from where we started yes and i and I think that's totally a point that we're on the same page on I, I believe so so and that's where the complexity of the issue is so hard to deal with do you do you fix the problem quick by making it easier by making you know just making every limiting factor of hunting easier for easy less barriers to entry you know and 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 fix it quick, but then make a pe- bunch of people that are, for lack of a better term, and I'm not going to, well, sh- a shallow hunter. I'm just going to use that term. That's a good way to put it. And those people don't value hunting, and so they don't pass it on to their kids in the same way that we have. Or do you have these guys that, you know, deeply value it and value it so much that they pass it on in great strength to their kids and pass it on. And do you see what I'm I saying? I think a shallow is the best way to describe it because 
with within the the whole experience, it, you know, you lose this these all this richness just by sitting over a pile of corn. Yeah, you lose all these all this woodsmanship. I mean, you know, your dad probably taught you the same way mine did. We go out looking for tracks and rubs yes. and scrapes. And, you know, I mean, one of my earliest memories of hunting was dad showing me where a squirrel chucked hickory nut. Yeah. You know, and this is this is going to be a good tree. Yeah. Just sit here and kill some squirrels. You know, um, but when you, when you, yeah, reduce it down to, okay, I know this this buck or, what you know, does or whatever going to show up this corn pile at, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you, you're giving up. All that, all that's uh, all that hunting is. Yes, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, really and truly, what what else is there? What is that? Yeah. Isn't that really just killing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's complex. It's complicated. There's a whole lot of a whole lot of uh, different goals to consider. You know. And and the best, you know, if if our ultimate goal is to preserve hunting, I don't know if that's the best way. I see it as you. It's a band aid. It's it's a way to bring in, you know, get a quick hit. Uh, yeah. People take. I know. like what you said about how the perception of hunting could actually be more critical than than recruitment I believe, of hunters. I believe that truly. I, I'm friends with some vegan folks, and they don't have a problem with me hunting. They don't have a yeah, I say they don't have a problem. They don't. They don't like the idea of an animal, you know, dying. But, you know, frankly speaking, that's not. We're consumers. Yeah. You know, if you're living, there's other things dying because you're even living. if you're eating vegan. Yeah, food. Exactly. You know. So. Sure. You know. But uh, getting the meat the way I get it, um, you know, they. I don't think. And again, again, these are you know folks that are vegans. Most people that don't hunt that aren't necessarily aren't vegans or, or vegetarians. I don't. I don't think they have a problem with that. Actually, I think they see some um, people people that I've met that um, are opposed to a lot of the more again shallow types of hunting experiences. When I explain to them how I hunt, they oh okay, I get that, I understand yeah. that. Yeah. Um. So I, I yeah I think that plays into our future probably. I think it's probably more important than numbers from, yeah. from again, from the political perspective, Yeah, from the funding perspective, that's different, you know, and then you, yeah. you got the Pittman Robertson thing and all that is wrapped up into more hunters. And so I, I don't want to, I don't want to take away from that. Right. But where do you find a, a balance well, there? You know, the, we took this last weekend, my son turned 14 and he wanted to take some buddies from school hunting. Um, one of them had never hunted, and two of them had hunted quite a bit, but never with us. And uh, I was uh, I was torn about how, you know, on this private land over here, you know, I could put them on a spot where they could probably kill a deer with a gun. We're gun hunting. <clears throat> and uh, I was a little bit torn, especially with this new kid that had never hunted before, of putting him in the in the spot that I knew he'd kill a deer. But it's kind of hard to tell somebody that, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to put you in a bad spot <laughs> so that you don't kill a deer the first time you hunt. Yeah. You know, uh, and you're, I was torn because I wanted him to have a good experience and have fun and see deer. And then if we saw deer, he's probably going to get a shot at a deer. Anyway, but I was thinking about, boy, it took me years to kill a deer. And you, I know you, too, from 
a long time. Yeah, it took years to kill a deer and and that's why i value hunting so much to this day when i go out on private land over here and i know where i can go sit tonight and see deer and maybe even kill a deer with my bow golly my heart still skips a beat when i see a doe deer walking to me and it's because when i was 11 years old and started bow hunting with my dad i hunted seasons before i had a deer in bow range i was i was 21 before i killed my first deer Mm -hmm. you know and i grew up I'm 48 now. We didn't have many deer, you know, and, right. and we always went to Newton Cane hunt. And there were no deer there. We ran them with dogs, yeah, because uh, they, they were hard to find. Yes, um, and and so yeah, you know, my kids when you know, I guess in the 80s or in the 90s is when the population really boomed here in Arkansas, and deer yep. started popping up everywhere. And and even today, you know, when I see deer out my backyard, I, I'm it's almost like a magical experience, you know, to yep. see these these deer out there. And, and I remember my kids when we were growing up. Anytime I'd see a deer on the road on the side of the road, like, oh my god, there's deer! You know, and if yes. we could, we'd pull over and look at them. Yes, and it's because, like you said, there were seasons went by when you know I might see one doe, um, I, I might not see any deer. Yeah, seeing a track was a big deal. Yeah, um, seeing rubs were. See, oh my gosh, w- w- you know? what did that produce inside of us though? It produced. A deep appreciation that is hard to replicate today. Johnny, I my kids, so, you know, my kids have grown up around here with good deer numbers. We see deer, probably not, we don't see deer every day, but we see a lot of deer, way more than I would have when I was a kid, just mm-hmm. in everyday life. I told my kids years ago, I said, in this car, in this truck, we're going to celebrate every time we see a deer, <laughs> no matter how many we see. And I told them years ago, and River Newcomb could verify this because she reminded me of this the other day. But she said, you know, well, I told them, I said, we can never get used to seeing deer and just drive by. I no. get upset with my wife. My wife loves us hunting and, you know, she loves cooking deer meat. And But she's not a hunter. You know, she's not like, let's go hunting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, if she sees a deer and doesn't text me within an hour and give me a report, like if like two days later she's like, "Yeah, I saw a deer." I get, I it's a big joke around our family. I act like I'm real mad. <laughs> God got it. Why did you not tell me that? So we, I had to put a quote on her. I said, "If you see a deer, I don't care if it's in Fayetteville or if it's, I need to know within one hour." <laughs> I mean, the whole idea is to, in the culture of our family, to put value on just wildlife yeah that's here because yeah. it is it is amazing but, but it, it it started with scarcity though it did and part of it too though is there's you know some people are i was always drawn to the woods and to the creeks and ponds and stuff like that and you were probably the same way there was a natural curiosity yeah there was a i, I don't know why and my grandpa from the earliest age uh, I've, I've talked about this or i've written about this where he would uh from from when I was really young, he would bring me lizards and spiders and salamanders and snakes and stuff in jars, and we talk about them, you know, and let them go and all that stuff. So this appreciation for nature and wildlife and all that stuff was was fostered in me early before I ever started hunting. Yeah, before I ever started fishing, which yeah. fishing was one of my earliest memories. You know, um, is is that where it comes from too? Is it, uh, you know, I, I think the scarcity is, you're right, but but I, you and I had the perseverance to push through that. You know, what gave us that? 
Yeah. Is that just a personality quirk? Because some didn't. I, I don't know. Some didn't. Some didn't. No, some didn't. Didn't stick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't. I and want, it probably wouldn't have stuck with them if they'd have been handed deer their whole life. Probably not. It probably wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. yeah either way. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, you know, are we are we maybe through this making things easier? Are we, in a sense, artificially inflating hunter numbers? That's a good. You know, you know what? I've heard somewhere I've heard that, like, in the population, there's probably some percentage of people that are naturally inclined to be really dedicated hunters. It's very small. Almost. <laughs> yeah, I've never thought about it like this, but almost like in a litter of hounds. Like you can yeah. take you can take <laughs> yeah. well bred hounds, and bre- you know have ten puppies, and probably about three of them are gonna really be what you want. Mm-hmm. The other seven are gonna have inklings of it, but probably not gonna be exactly what you want. Well, and there's different motives even for those that popu- that segment of the population. There's a I can't remember if he was a sociologist or an anthropologist. His name was Kellert, I believe. Um, they did a study on hunters and their motives, their reasons for hunting, and he found three different general types. Mm. There was the, the trophy hunter, which, you know, there's a lot of negative connotations, yeah. a lot of negativity attached to that. But the, the, how he described it was someone that hunted for ego. Yeah. Uh, and then there was utilitarian hunter, which hunted to fill the freezer. And then there was a third type, and I, I believe he called it a naturalist hunter, mm. which was someone that was, they, you know, whereas the, the trophy hunter and the utilitarian hunter, they might know specifics about, you know, the place, the tree species, all these different kinds of things to to reach the end goal of killing a deer. The naturalist hunter tended to have a better understanding of the entire ecosystem. Yeah. Not just where the white oaks were, but also where the marbled salamanders were, mm-hmm. where the screech owls were. Mm-hmm. Um you know all these other different aspects of the, of this of the place and of the experience. Yeah. So, you know, even within that segment, there uh, that small segment of people that are you know drawn to hunting and uh, stay involved in it, there's still a, a pretty broad range of of reasons why. Yeah. Uh, I think you can be all three of those, Johnny. <sighs> Well, I don't know. I mean, there's overlap, obviously. You no, know, no, again, I even, like even within myself, but even with myself, like I said, I mean, I like big antlers. Yeah, uh, I, I hunt the field. Well, freezer. I think you would be an example of all three, Pro- and I, I would hope that I would too. Probably pretty close. I, I like shooting big deer. Yeah, and I think I think it's probably like a lot of other things in, in this world. It's a spectrum. There's not, yeah. you know, it's not your. You don't necessarily fit in this slot, this slot, or this slot. But you tend to lean more one yeah. way or the other, and a lot of it may depend on the circumstances. Yeah, uh, yeah. If I'm if I'm hunting Hollow Bend, which has big deer, I'm a little more selective about you know the, the bucks I'm shooting. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I'm also trying to fill the freezer, and at the yeah. same time, I'm also aware that I'm in a, a hackberry tree. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm aware that the robins that come through are gonna if there's a big flock of robins, they're gonna lie around me and eat hackberries. You know. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, you can. I think you can be all three. Yeah. That's yeah. that's a good point. Hadn't thought yeah. about that actually before. Yeah. Well, as you described those things, I was like, I mean, I was like, yeah, I, I would be that. I would be that sometimes, <laughs> and I would be that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think in any human experience, the more you know, the more knowledge you have, the more insight you have, the more awareness that you have of your motivations, the richer this experience is going to be. Exactly. If you, 
you know, if you play golf, which th- there's a joke on this podcast about me not liking golf. Okay? Yeah, I don't like golf either. So. Okay, good, <clears throat> good. That's why you're here, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> no, there's a, guy, a friend of mine that uh, has been on the podcast a couple of times. I'll name his name. James Brandenburg, who was a big <laughs> golfer. And I was like, man, you're lucky to be on this podcast. That's a lot of wildlife habitat. Well, but, just the, but if you understand, yeah, that's a lot of wildlife. That's good. That's good. Potential uh, wildlife habitat. Yeah. Think of all the, the resource they used to make those golf balls that, you know, they had to pull those nutrients from somewhere. Um, no, but if you understood the game of golf, which I don't, but if you understood the foundations of the game and the cultural aspects of it and the and the intricacies of the athleticism and dedicate, I mean, like, it would be a rich experience as opposed to me and you this afternoon going out and playing a round of golf. And we'd just be like, this is ridiculous. Yes, you're exactly and right. So if we, but if we were <laughs> connoisseurs of the game of golf and spent our whole lives doing it and we understood the types of grass and we understood the, 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 names of the ways that they designed fairways and i mean all the stuff that we don't know it would be richer mm-hmm. it'd be a richer experience and, and in this day and age we're gifted with all of this knowledge really at the a few keystrokes away oh i don't you know and again this is me i don't i don't understand why you wouldn't seek that out because yeah. you're right more knowledge more understanding makes every experience more awareness makes every experience richer yeah um but you know Again, I I understand just needing to fill the freezer comes to home. Yeah, yeah. I understand the allure of of big horns, big antlers. I get it. Um, yeah. But maybe understanding why you're doing these things, you know. Yeah, that's a powerful, powerful piece of it. Well, man, we uh, well I have to we'll have to get together again, do this again. There, there's a thousand ways we could have took this uh, conversation, so. It's been good. <laughs> it could, I still would, man, you're going to make me think even more about, though, about the reasons why I chose the way I, why I choose the way to hunt the way I hunt. Yeah. I'm still. You know, I think, I think that's a, a journey that, well, for sure, writers are on is a, is, is a, is a reason why. I mean, like, why do we do the things we do? I mean, I think that's part of. Why we why we look and why we write? We try to communicate, and, and it is. And I, I think a lot of this stuff there may not be answers. Yeah, and I think that's where where I have a problem is I'm, I'm a guy that likes to have answers. Yeah, and I'm having a hard time accepting maybe the reality that that there's Man, not one. I I want to encourage people. Look up Johnny Carroll saying, uh, "Man, your writing's awesome." Uh, really, well, thank you. Like I. I uh I was reading some of your stuff last night and I was just like, man, this is good. Like I I was challenged, uh, just thinking, man, I don't write like that. <laughs> uh, and uh, so anyway, where can people find you? Where would be a good good place for people to find um, you? So I've got a a website uh called the Philosophical Hillbilly, and you can Google that. And uh, on that side, I've got a page that has bylines. And it's got a list of a lot of published stories, uh, a couple other podcasts I did. I did one with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Hal Herring, and then one with yeah. the National Wildlife Federation. Um, you can go there to look at some stuff. Uh, I regularly write for Hatch Fly Fishing Magazine, Mid-Current Fly Fishing Magazine, um, Arkansas Life. I've uh, done some stuff for Quail Forever, which I'm not a quail hunter. <laughs> but but I've I, I'm I, th- I may end up doing that this winter going out with some of those guys. 
Um, man, just I don't know. I've written for yeah. several places. Uh, you can do field a, stream, yeah, field some. stream a little bit years ago. Um, sporting classics, uh, various other publications, national yeah. and regional. Yeah. The best place would be go to my website. Like I said, to find bylines, that'd be the best yeah. place. Cool. Closing thoughts. Anything we didn't talk about that you oh, would Lord, like to? All kinds of stuff we could talk about. Uh, <laughs> Part two. Yeah. Um, no, I, it's a great conversation. I think, you know, a lot of this, this stuff that we talked about, again, there's not really any easy answers. There's yeah. not even necessarily answers. Uh, we're or just, a right answer. No, a right. We're just trying to find a path. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I want hunting. I want the outdoor hunting, fishing culture to extend, you know, onto my grandchildren. Yeah. Um, I want to find the best way to do that. Uh, I'm not sure what that is yet. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, I think a theme inside of this would be uh, become introspective and like, here, here's what I'll say. A guy that's hunting with a rifle over corn, as long as he's being honest and he understands what he's exactly what he's doing, you know, then I don't have a problem with that as long as he's being honest. I'm, I feel you know what the I'm saying? same. I feel the same way. Yeah. I, I, well, mostly the same way. Mostly the same <laughs> way. Yeah. We, I, do, I have a hard time understanding it. I yeah, guess that's yeah, the, that's yeah. the thing. Uh, and I, I say that. <clears throat> I really need to should have said this from the start, man. I'm a privileged guy. I'm I'm a freelance writer. I, I'm not. I work a lot, but I have control over my schedule. Yes. Um. So I can, you know, I can make time to hunt. I can yeah. make time to scout. Yeah. I know not everyone does that. I've I've worked, you know, real jobs <laughs> yeah. where I had my time was was taken by this or that, and I didn't did not have the time that I do now that I enjoy now. So yeah. I I don't sure don't want to, you know stand from in my position my privileged position and, and yeah. look down on people that do things a certain way because yeah. that's this is the cards they were dealt yeah um yeah. you know well and that's that's very true time is often a limiting factor it is and that's that may be the biggest factor that's played into the rifle hunter over corn it may have you, you know, know it's it, just like i don't i don't and here's here we're jumping into it again but you know the guy that says i can hunt one Saturday a year, one weekend a year, I'm going to put out corn and use a rifle. I'm going to tell you straight up, if I had one Saturday a year, I'd have corn and a rifle. There we go. I mean, if I, that's, that's just the truth. If I right. could hunt only weekends. Yeah, it'd be tough. It'd be tough. Well, I think, and I, and I think more than what we're saying, you know, I mean, it, it's hard to bring judgment on stuff that we don't do because we don't understand. And that's what you're saying is you mm -hmm. don't understand it. Mm -mm. But, but. Um, I think all I'm asking is for people to be just honest about it. Honest and thoughtful. Yeah, just honest I think and thoughtful. That's little, those that's be all I would ask too. Yeah, just be honest and thoughtful about it. Yep. Yeah, and then the game agencies of the states. I mean, they're the ones that ultimately make decisions that either allow that to be something that's legal or not. So that and that's that's pretty big stuff too. But, That's a whole another discussion too. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. Um well, hey, man, awesome. I'll uh you know what I can't end this without saying cuz so much of what we've talked about on this podcast has been the ethics and rationale and reasoning behind hunting bears over bait. 
just for the sake of somebody that's going to listen to this and say, well, geez, you were talking about how cool and good hunting over bait was for bear. Bear is different because a bear is a low density animal. And in, in, in well, I'm not going to justify it. I'm just going to say, this is what I would say if we had another hour to talk about this is that deer is a high density animal with populations statewide numbering between probably 20 and 50 deer per square mile. Bears are a very low density animal and being highly selective in bear hunting is advantageous for everything. We've got quotas. I mean, we've mm-hmm. got a basically a 400 bear quota in those or 350 bear quota in the Ozarks. And, uh, and basically they know in the Washtals they're not going to kill more than 150. So, I mean, we are trying to be selective. Mm-hmm. You understand? It's a different, yeah, it's a whole and different. So, so I want to say that because if somebody just flashed through this, they could go, well, geez, he's saying this, but he's saying that when he's around this guy. Now, when we talk about baiting, we, we talk about the ability to be highly selective, if you choose to be, and the ability to just hunt an animal that for all practical purposes is pretty difficult to hunt just spot and stalk out in National Forest. And everybody would also know that my favorite way to hunt a bear is in the Washtenaw National Forest and Ozark National Forest without bait, just hunting them like deer. It's super is, tough. That is very hard, yeah. It's I spent tough. a lot of times in the mountains, and I I have not seen that many bears. Right. I mean, they're just hard to... They are. And and so that's my favorite way to hunt them, but I also see the, the benefits of hunting a bear over bait, mm-hmm. you know, just to because they're a, they're a large carnivore that, anyway, no, I just wanted to put that in there just for anybody that was going to get after me. So, and on, on that note, I've never killed a bear. Yeah. I've never hunted a bear. Would you shoot a bear if he walked by you with your bow? Please tell me you would. I don't know. Have you ever eaten bear meat? No. Doggone it. Johnny, man, I tell you what. I've heard, I've heard it's great. I've actually, I've heard both sides. I've heard that it's horrible and then i've heard that it's really it's better than deer meat and venison if i gave you a a pound of this ground bear meat that that i killed in the washtals this year and you just ground it up and i mean well it's ground meat so you'd make chili or tacos or ah it'd be as good a meat as you've ever eaten in your life and you wouldn't taste it you wouldn't taste a tinge of what people say is bad i think the the hype of people saying that bear meat is bad is 100% psychological. I, well, but I think it's that way with all wild game because yeah. people have said they don't like venison, they don't like deer meat because it tastes gamey. No, that, that's just how deer taste. Yeah. It's not gamey. It's just yeah. different than beef. Yeah. And we have yeah. domesticated palates. We're used to pork, chicken, and beef. Yeah. And so you throw another, you know. It's different. It's different. Yeah. yeah another level of complexity in there and it throws people off. So I don't disagree with you there. Yeah. I honestly don't. I've had invitations to bear hunt. Say with family in Newton County, there are bears everywhere, you know. It's just something I I don't know. Just I hadn't done. Hadn't done, hadn't really wanted to. Yeah. It's, sure. I don't really know why. I'm not against it. Yeah. I don't have a problem with it. Um, maybe part of it because I don't want to have to pack one out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, man. We close this podcast every time, and I say the same thing. I say, keep the wild places wild, because that's where the bears live.
You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.